First, let me start by reassuring us that despite the title of the sermon, Go Home Without Hesitation, that this sermon was not written by Suella Breverman. The sermon was not written by Suella Breverman despite the title. Um, at the end of last week, I had uh, received a message from my dad. And he said to me, he said, oh, Andy, it would be nice to hear one of your messages. It would be nice to listen to one of your messages. And my dad's old school, so he said, um, can you send me a tape? It would be nice if you could send me a tape of one of your messages and just add that Alton. And, um, well, I'm definitely not going to be able to send him a tape. But I won't be sending him this sermon either because I'm about to use him as an anecdote. When I was growing up um, in Nigeria, much younger, there was one thing that really wound my dad up. Really wound him up. I don't know why it wound him up so much. But it was when you would button your T-shirt or your, your shirt up badly. And you had your formal shirt with buttons and when you would just, you know, when you miss a button and then the left side is longer than the right side or however that looks. And when I would do that specifically, it just seemed to drive him mad. I don't know if it was because there was, there was this character on the TV at the time, a guy called um, Giringuri, and that was his look. His look was to button up his shirt badly, to miss a button and, you know, looking a bit, you know, badly dressed. And he wasn't, he wasn't a great or complimentary character. And I, I don't know whether that was what wound my dad up the most, to see his first son spotting this Giringuri look. But it, it wound him up. It really drove him mad. And, and as these were the days before Childline, he would often react, there would often be slaps, would often be involved. Slaps will often be commonplace to happen or, or at the very least loud shouting if he came across me looking this way. And so what that meant was that whenever I would be at home and I would hear the horn of my dad's car coming in or perhaps I could hear him call my name. I would quickly run towards the closest mirror and have a quick check to make sure that I had buttoned up my shirt correctly. Just had a quick check to make sure that today, Andy, you're not going to get slapped. Not for this, anyway. And I would run and have a quick check to make sure that everything is in order. And that just became a habit. I, I mean, I wonder if I did it this morning before coming out. I wonder if I just checked my shirt quickly to make sure everything's buttoned right. You're not going to get slapped by the VLTs or, or, or anything like that. And so this is what I did. And then I, but I noticed because the scriptures often, the scriptures re- introduce God to us as a father. And Jesus introduces God to us as a father. And therefore, what could happen is that we begin to see God through the lens of our experience of an earthly father. 
the way that we have experienced an earthly father here, we begin to carry that imagery and begin to view God from that same perspective. And so that, so I found that for myself, before going into God's presence, before going in to engage with God, I found that I was constantly checking, still checking my buttons, still checking that I had all my buttons done up correctly before I could stand before God, just in case slaps are involved. And this is what the writer of Hebrews pushes back on in a passage Becky read for us in Hebrews 10. Because he, he wants us to understand that God is someone who loves us, and therefore his presence, being with God, is a safe place for us. You know, all the things that we think of when we think of home, that home is the place where we belong, is a place where we are loved, is a place where we are safe. The person that we are with is what makes that place home. And the writer in Hebrews is trying to make that point to his readers to say, God, the presence of God is our true home, is the true place where we are safe. He's trying to encourage his readers that they must go to God without hesitation. Do not hesitate for any reason. Do not stop to check your buttons or or, or for any reason. Just go. He says we can go right into the presence of God because of the blood of Jesus. Earlier on, he says, we can go boldly before God because of Jesus. He says that, you know, Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. So there is this consistent messaging of boldly go. Go into God's presence without hesitation. You can go there because of what Christ has done. And he he's at pains to make this point to those he's writing to, to us. Because here's the thing about our engagement with God. We often carry our human engagements and interactions into the place of our engagement with our Heavenly Father. Because just as we will take our experiences of an earthly father and begin to view God as a heavenly father from those lands, there is this question that governs our human interactions. It's a question that I'm sure that you have come across at a point in your journey. That question, what do you do? It's a very heavy question. It's a very packed question. Because most of the times when we are confronted with that question, what do you do? It's almost like we're being asked, what right do you have to sit at the table? Whatever that table may be, wherever that table may be, it's like, why should we listen to you? Why should we take you seriously? Why should you enter into this conversation? Why should you enter into this discussion? Why should you enter into the consideration? What do you do? 
And that question comes at us in different ways. And I don't know about you, but whenever I am confronted with that question, whether the question is, what do you do? Or what uh, did you do? What do you do? What are you doing? What do you plan to do? Whenever we're confronted with that question, that question that has that underlying message in it that says, you know, what right do you have to sit on the table? Can we take you? Why should we take you seriously? There is that temptation to begin to sound important. You want to suddenly sound important. You want to prove why you should be listened to. You, can, you want to prove it or, or, or you feel like the answers that you may give, you have an, we carry an insecurity about the answer that we may give. You know, so I could say, oh, I, I managed the royal affairs for a king in Alton. You know, try, you know, trying to make that role of I'm a pastor sound a bit more, you know, powerful, if you like. I've been privileged that, you know, all the ministers I've met since I started this journey have been reasonable ministers. So I've not come across the big what do you do question that 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 exist in some ministerial circles because in the ministerial circles, the big what do you do question is, you know, so how many people come to your church? You know, is that question that says, you know, what right do you have to sit at this table? Why should we take you seriously? Why should we listen to you? And because that is the nature of the engagements that we find ourselves in, in this world, we can seem to take that attitude, that mentality, when it comes to our relationship with God. We come in there trying to answer the question of, what do, what do I do? What gives me a right to sit at the table? And so we may come in there like the Pharisee in Jesus' parable about the Pharisee and the tax collector, and, and talking about all the things that we do. Claiming that this, thinking that this gives us a right to come into God's presence. Forgetting that it is all relative and, and, and God says to us that even the best of humanity's attempts to sit at the table falls short. Or sometimes we can, we, we, we can look at the answers of what we do and we can feel so insecure about it and feel like, oh, I cannot, God doesn't want to listen to me based on how I answer the question. But the writer of Hebrews, he's trying to draw his listeners back to a fundamental truth. We have a seat at the table because of what Jesus has done. The question is not what do you do? The question is what has he done? It says that for all who believed in Jesus, he gave the right to sit at the table, to enter into God's presence and to always be received as his dearly beloved child. It's Christianity 101, I know, but how often we forget it, how often I forget it, how often we fail to come and engage truly with the wonderful presence of God because we feel like we are not worthy or because we try and come into it from an arrogant space of thinking we are worthy based on our own merit. But the writer of Hebrews says there is a way into that space 
of the love and presence and conversation of God and that way has been made through the blood of Jesus. There is a way to that space where we are safe. There is a way home in Christ Jesus. Because the enemy, our enemy, our adversary, he does not want us to go home. He doesn't. Because it's that fundamental truth of home being a place where we are safe. And, and God being our home. You know, the writer of Lamentation will say, the Lord is my inheritance. God is who we get. He is our home. And with him, we are safe. And this is something that the enemy understands. And so he, he tries to create hurdles for us so that we are unable to get over whatever obstacle it is. Because I was reflecting on this and I, and I don't know where you will put yourself in the room in terms of prayer and the consistency of your prayer life. But I find that what the one thing that most Christians struggle with the most, if you ask them, is their prayer life. They will say, oh, my prayer life struggles. And there's a reason that the enemy puts a lot of pushback in that place of prayer because it is the way, path that Jesus has created for us to go home, to be in God's presence, to come alive to it. And it is a pathway where we are safe. David in Psalm 23 talks about how the shepherd, when the sheep finds home in the shepherd, the shepherd anoints my head with oil and my cup runneth over. There's something that sheep struggle with. And that is flies. Because their hooves are in such a way that they can't get rid of the nuisance that are flies. And what these flies do is that they get into the sheep's ears, they get into the sheep's noses, they get into their skin and they cause chaos. Even worse, the flies would lay eggs in the sheep noses and ears and it can it is so uncomfortable for the sheep it causes so much pain and so much distress that the sheep would go and literally bang their heads on the wall just trying to get rid of the pain they will go and repeatedly bang their heads on the wall sheep are not very clever which which makes you wonder that we're often described as sheep in the scriptures but we'll unpack that another time and, and it basically, they would self-destruct, trying to get rid of the chaos created by the flies. I reflected on this this week and I, and I realized that if there was someone who knew something, if there's someone who knows something about self-destruction, it's humanity. Because we know what it is like when the flies of anxiety and fear and worry, and bitterness, and our, and our work concerns about yesterday, and the unknown about tomorrow, we know what it is when the flies of darkness comes and troubles us. When it comes and wrecks havoc in our minds and hearts, where it lays its eggs within us, so that it is 
tormenting and we cannot have peace and we struggle to grasp joy. We know what that is like. And what, the, what David says is that what God does for him in that space as his shepherd is that he anoints his head with oil. When the shepherd, what the shepherd does for the sheep, in anointing the sheep's head with oil, it serves almost as a fly repellent. It means that the flies are unable to settle. The flies are unable to lay their eggs there. But also it, it acts as a healing balm for the sheep so that wherever there has been hurt and wounds, there is healing. And, the, and David says, this is what... My father, the, the God does for us as a shepherd. In our case, this is what Jesus does for us as our shepherd. This is what happens when we go home. That the oil of his presence, the oil of his love, the oil of his word, the oil of his truth, he uses it to protect us from the flies of this world. From the seeds of doubt and shame and guilt and fear and depression that the enemy seeks to lay within us. The shepherd protects us. He ensures that we are safe. And so the writer of Hebrews urges us. Go home without hesitation. Go right into the presence of God. Go boldly into the presence of God because Jesus is there. And because Jesus has made it so that we can always go home. We can go home without hesitation. Wherever we are, we can go home. In our, in our pain and in our joy, go home without hesitation. In our sadness and in our laughter, we can pray. When our faith is strong and when our faith is weak, we can pray. When we believe and when we're struggling to believe, we can pray. When we have consistently been in God's presence and when we haven't prayed for a long time, we can pray. When we're having a good day and we're at our best, when we're having a bad day and we have, we're at our worst, we can pray. Because of the blood of Jesus and because of the presence of Jesus, we can always go home to God where we are safe and where there is protection. And so the writer of Hebrews urges us, go home without hesitation. Go right into the presence of God where he keeps us safe. There is, there is, a, there is a sin in, in the kids' cartoon, Tom and Jerry. Yes, Tom and Jerry, you heard me right. And, and, and the character there, there's a dog there, Spike. And, and Spike, Jerry does a solid for Spike. And so Spike says to Jerry, he says, whenever you need me, just whistle. And so whenever Tom will try to harass Jerry, Jerry would just whistle and Spike would show up and sort Tom out every single time. And so Tom knows that the moment Jerry whistles, Jerry's at home. Jerry's safe because Spike shows up. And he's like, the only way I can crush Jerry is to prevent him from being able to whistle. And so he prepares this sweet and he lures Jerry to eat it. 
And once Jerry has eaten this sweet, Jerry is unable to whistle. And Tom's like, gotcha. Because now that Jerry can't whistle, Tom can chase and harass and disturb Jerry. And Jerry would stay in that place of darkness. I think that is what the enemy tries to do to us believers. He tries to get us in a place where we think that we cannot whistle. Where we think that praying is what we shouldn't do. He can get us so angry with God and so disillusioned with life that we think there is no point praying. Or he can get us so busy and so secure in our own self-righteousness and self-importance that we think we don't need prayer. But he always tries to draw us to a point where prayer is something that we are we feel unable to do or we feel we don't need to do. But it is because he knows that when we call on our Savior, we are always safe. As the scriptures declare, those who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So as we go, let me encourage you, as the writer of Hebrews did, go every day this week, without hesitation, go right into the presence of God through prayer, by the blood of the Lamb, because Jesus is there, and that is our home, where we are safe always. God bless you. Amen.